Hi, everyone. Before we get into this week's episode, we have another amazing product sponsor created by us, again, Raw Republic Juice. So last week, we were featuring our olive oil, which comes from our family in Italy. I'm hoping that those of you who've received it are enjoying it and loving it as much as we do. This week, we're featuring our ultimate shrooms, mushroom powder. So I'll tell you a little bit of the backstory as to why we started selling this mushroom powder. So Evan has a friend in Miami who suggested that this was an amazing supplement to try, potentially to sell at Raw Republic, but mostly just as an amazing addition to what he was supplementing with. So when the product when we received the product, it is a powder. So we started putting it in our coffees and in our smoothies. And when I tried it for the first time, I truly felt like my brain was lit up. I I'm not exaggerating at all. I normally do not feel an immediate effect from supplements nor or mushroom products, powders, potions. I've tried them all. Obviously, we've been in this industry for almost 10 years and everyone has sent us their supplements ranging from minerals and mushrooms to enzymes and probiotics and green powders and all the things. This product in particular is one that I felt an effect from immediately. Um, The reason why I felt safe taking it during pregnancy and postpartum, like which is now while I'm breastfeeding is because it's food. So in my opinion, I feel comfortable taking things that are really closely related to it's the natural form. And these mushrooms are that. So the product is called Ultimate Shrooms. We partnered with the the supplement line um, that initially we tried the product from called Live Ultimate. And we talked to the founder, we talked to them about their sourcing, we talked to them about their quality. Another interesting thing about this mushroom powder is that these mushrooms are grown on wood and there's no mycelium. So in the mushroom world and conversations, sometimes people like mycelium. It would be like, if you've ever seen mushrooms being grown, it would be like grounding up the part, that, like the white log underneath the mushroom and eating that and saying it's nutritious. I'm maybe, you know, there the root system is there. I'm sure that there are some minerals. I feel like these mushrooms are highly effective because it's just the fruiting body on them that you're getting. Um, so I'll read you the the eight mushrooms that are in this our ultimate shrooms powder. It's cordyceps, reishi, chaga, lion's mane, turkey tail, maitake, shiitake, and oyster. Um, it's 450 milligrams of each. Um, the cordyceps, reishi, chaga, lion's mane, and the turkey tail, and 300 milligrams of the maitake and shiitake, 150 milligrams of the oyster, and that's per serving. Um, I put this the mushroom powder in my latte or smoothie every single day, and it's the only thing I've been consistent with for probably almost two years. I love them. I feel an effect in my brain. I feel like I'm supporting my immune system. Um, they're wonderful. We So if you order them from us, we'll do the same um, discount that we did last week for the olive oil. It'll be free shipping. Email me, sheena at rawrepublicjuice.com, subject mushrooms, and we'll give you free shipping. Each packet is $40 and it should last you about a month. Um, and also there's an amazing recipe for the well-shroomed latte that we make in New Orleans at Raw Republic on the back of the packet. So email me if you'd like a a packet and um, enjoy this episode. 
You're listening to a fresh new podcast from the owner of the celebrity-acclaimed Raw Republic Juice Bar and Wellness Center in New Orleans, Louisiana, Sheena Manina. Yes, that's her real name. This is Raw Talk with Sheena. Yay, Brooke. Welcome to Raw Talk with Sheena. I'm happy to be here. I've listened to Raw Talk with Sheena for many years, so I'm excited to be here. Okay, so I was trying. I was thinking the other day, like, how did we start to connect? And I think we just started to connect on Instagram, right? Yes, on Instagram. I, being in the juice business as you, uh, followed Raw in New Orleans and huge fan. So I always followed it. Thought it was so amazing what you were doing. And then you had a podcast, so I love listening to it because we have very similar interests, obviously, being in the juice business. So it's been fun to connect with you. Yeah. You're like-minded. Yeah. So I just remember, like, I started tuning into the things that you were posting about, and there are so many things that, like, I kind of want to touch on today because there are so many aspects of you that, holy shit, you're so good at business. You own a seven seven locations because one is the plant, right? Yes. A seven location juice company in Scottsdale. And like on the side, you're so immersed in educating yourself on nutrition. And like, that's, you know, everyone who's listened to this podcast and knows that like my instinct when it comes to what's right and what's wrong is always based on intuition. Like I'm, I'm, I might pick up a little bit of knowledge or um, data or like statistical evidence here and there. But for the most part, like I make a lot of my decisions on on what I'm curious about, what feels right, um, what feels most holistic. And, And the interesting thing is that like when I tune into the information that you sort of like you post or you repost, it it's always in alignment with what I feel to be that inclusive, holistic perspective, but backed with statistical evidence. And I think it's fascinating because like, I don't feel like I have the brain capacity to run a business and store that type of information, but it's like, you have so much capacity. And that's why I'm always looking at you in awe, like how on earth is this happening through one person? So, um, I wanted, and I think it's interesting for people to hear about, like we both own juice companies. So people just assume that we're vegan and we just drink juice all day. And I think both of us have a very inclusive diet from the perspective of health. And so I kind of wanted you to give the audience a little bit of like a, in your brain of nutrition. Well, first, thank you. That was really nice. All the things that you said, I really appreciate it. Um, I love nutrition. That's kind of how all this started. Um, I had an autoimmune condition when I was younger. I still have it. You technically never get rid of them. Uh, Was introduced into more holistic medicine from my mom just because I had rheumatoid arthritis as a really young case. I was three years old. And everybody that was in my age group that had rheumatoid arthritis was basically just getting steroid injections, yeah. anti-inflammatory drugs, and all of them were eventually having surgeries, hip replacements, knee replacements as teenagers. And when I went back for my visits every single time, they were kind of in shock about my inflammatory markers being so low. And it was 
my mom going to the library because this was in like 1993, 1994 and reading these books. So while we sat in the library of putting me on low inflammatory diets, I was doing acupuncture, uh, cupping, uh, massage, all these things that, uh, now people do for long-term wellness and longevity. I was doing it three and four and five to try to lower inflammation so that I was able to live a quote unquote normal life. So my diagnosis was pretty bad when I was younger. They told my parents to prepare for me not to be able to sit at a school desk, be able to write, um, hold a pencil just because it was so bad in my hands, my knees and my ankles and play sports. And my parents just said, we're going to do everything possible, even if it doesn't make sense, just if it we'll try everything we can to help her. So really that's how I started in nutrition, just from my upbringing. And I'm beyond grateful for my mother. I actually named our LLC after my mom for the juice business, just because um, I, it wouldn't be what it is without her. And she was so ahead of her time. And I wish that you know everybody could hear and listen to all the things and knowledge that she has because she was a pioneer in the 90s doing this stuff reading in the library. But transitioning, when I went to college, I ended up wanting to get into nutrition and just a dietetics. That's really all that was available for nutrition. And then I went to naturopathic medical school right after in Arizona, SCNM, for about two years. And when I went on my off season, I went to China. I was very interested in the more... um, acupuncture just because I'd used it when I was younger and had such great results. And I took Mandarin and went to Shanghai and studied for just a brief short period of time in the summer. And my lab partner from SCNM was from Beijing. So he was in Beijing on his break as well. So we met in Beijing and he, it was awesome. So it was such like an amazing experience when it came to medicine. And I came back from that trip and I was going back into naturopathic school and none of it really resonated with me anymore other than nutrition. Mm -hmm. So I switched to my master's in human nutrition and functional medicine, which I graduated with, and I loved it. And because of that background, I found kind of Kaleidoscope. Uh, My partner, who I bought the business from recently, she started it with a grant from ASU and ended up being um, like same as you, like very intuitive, so aligned with what worked for her body and listening to how people would talk about food and their relationship with food and truly helping them find what aligned with them on a mind, body, spirit level, more so than just what was trending. So if you had people come in who just wanted the Atkins diet, she would really look at okay, well, how do you feel about yourself? Like, what are your goals for just life? Not necessarily the number on the scale. Like, do you want to be able to play with your kids? Do you want to have more energy? And that's really how she founded Kaleidoscope. I started there when it was, you know, one location, a small brick and mortar. It was like five employees and her and I hit it off and ended up growing the business to now we have the seven buildings. Um, And she just recently retired where she's now with her children. She wanted to be full time with them. And it was really amazing that we were able to kind of build what we did together. And she's a fantastic mom. And for her to have that opportunity to be with her kids and for us to be able to give that to her has been a huge blessing for everybody. Um, But we've 
allowed the kaleidoscope shift to kind of go what you were saying uh, with more of a, a stats-based approach on what we were doing with our product. So we've been able to take what I've been doing in school and what I love from school, which is just aligning nutrients, yes, spiritually and how you feel and being in tune with what you need, but also understanding if a woman comes in and she has massive cramps from her period, we can tell her, hey, you know, dill is scientifically proven to help lower inflammatory (laughs) cramps from PMS. And we have a juice specifically for that with a ton of dill, a ton of ginger and a ton of cucumber to help with that specific ailment you're going through. So we've been able to just make little niche products that help people more specifically, but our juices, our smoothies, you've seen our menu. It We have sometimes I think too many options because <laughs> we're at like 28 juices and 18 smoothies, but I don't ever want to get rid of them because then I'll, I'll hear someone order it and like, oh, I'm ordering it because we have a peachy clean smoothie and a gentleman will come in and order it because he read on our notes the uh, pumpkin seeds, uh, flax seeds, peaches, all that we were doing to kind of gear towards prostate health. And then I'm like, well, I can't get rid of it now, even yeah. though you know, it's <laughs> only sweet peaches in it. So I've, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of how we so, got okay. the kaleidoscope. So much information. So I want to actually trace it back a little bit to when you, I mean, I don't know how much you remember of being a child with an autoimmune disease. But like, like as you were sort of growing up with this different perspective of like, okay, I have these aches and pains and I'm using food and lifestyle to change the way that I feel. I'm just wondering, like, did you ever get this or do you have now this intuitive knowing that um, your condition was a result of anything in particular? Like, do you think it was a result of your diet prior to... Um, you know, changing to a more anti-inflammatory lifestyle? Do you think that it was like genetically imposed? Um, And I ask from my personal interest as well, because I have, you know, I've been diagnosed with Hashimoto's. I have two MTHFR SNPs. Um, People told me that, you know, it's a, it's a wonder you're not in a wheelchair and like I had debilitating periods. So um, I've always wondered too, you know, because my diet wasn't great as a child, but it just didn't seem that different from anyone else's to have, you know, incited so much symptomology in such a young person. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, do you, do you sort of see patterns in children who have those same symptoms or was there something intuitive that you feel was kind of like a, a big like reason as to why you were responding in that way? Yeah. So for me, I was obviously very young. I was at three years old and my parents started noticing kind of like inflammation in my knees. They were red, they were hot um, because of all of the uh, inflammatory markers kind of just like accumulating in my joints. So rheumatoid arthritis is the autoimmune infection where your joints attack themselves. Uh, whereas arthritis, when you usually see it in somebody who is elderly, they've developed it kind of over time. And mine is just like the spontaneous, quote unquote, spontaneous appearance of a cell attacking mechanism. So I believe, and for the case of a lot of children, is you're born kind of with this toxic 
burden or toxic load. So it's what you experienced in the womb from your mother that was passed through the placenta. And every single person is exposed to everything. Like you all, there's no escaping the shit in our environment. No matter how many people tell you like, filter this, filter that, like you go outside, there's shit in the air. You got it. And that is another amazing thing about the body is that we're actually made to filter. Our liver is our filter. So we, well, some of us are exposed to more when we're in the womb and that, or some of us are exposed post womb where it's more diet environment, things that you're, you know, consuming every single day. So in the womb, it just depends on the type of individual and how well the filtration process works on that individual. So I do think people with autoimmune conditions are just more sensitive where their internal internal filtration process, such as like, i.e. your liver, is working a little bit slower than others. So when you have autoimmune conditions and they spontaneously show up, that means that your body hasn't been functioning at full capacity for quite a while for it to start to develop symptoms. So in the case like me, maybe I was exposed to more toxic burden in the womb and then coming out because of that and I had a slower filtration process. I just developed an autoimmune condition at an earlier age. Mm-hmm. Whereas somebody were mostly women, and it's interesting you say Hashimoto's, women, it's 30 up. We're going to see, I think every single woman I know, at maybe 30 up, probably more so 40, I should say, every single woman I'm assuming in her 30s and 40s is going to have a slow thyroid. And that's just the way we've kind of engineered not only our food, but all of the stuff in our world, birth control, these things that were inundated in our bodies, birth control slows down your filtration process as well. So a lot of women who come off of it, they're not metabolizing vitamins and minerals at a normal sense at all whatsoever. And then they're wondering after they have kids, why they can't lose this baby weight. Well, if you're in birth control for five, six years before you got pregnant, and then you put your body through a massive, beautiful thing of building a human being. And then you're everyone's depleted. Like labor is hard. Giving birth is hard. It's an amazing natural part of life, but it is a, it's hard work. And then you're going into being a parent. That's hard work. And these women are all developing Hashimoto's slow thyroid. They're saying, I can't lose weight. I'm super fatigued. Why am I like this? It's like all of these things are, like I said, beginning from when you're in the womb, as you grow up, you have these toxic burdens, toxic loads, and then you add stuff onto it. And you get to the point where your body's like attacking itself because it doesn't know how to filter anything out. Right. So I completely agree with you. I think that we're all pretty much in the same, we're at, we're all at the same base level, which is like a lot worse than it was like maybe 20 years ago. And I think that the, like the SNPs have something to do with it. I think a lot of people are born with like these genetic mutations. Well, I think it's actually that we're just finding that that, is a precursor to like slow detoxification, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I think that we could probably find other data markers that are like pointing the same to the same direction, you know? Um, yes. You know, less enzymes in our food, um, less vitamins in our food to support those methylation and detoxification processes, all those things, like everything is sort of built up against us. So like there is a baseline that I do think that we can achieve through supplementation, through healthy eating, through like things like sauna, 
you know, um, movement and all those things. Um, and then there's the perspective of like, you know, that sort of causing stress and unhappiness as well, because, um, it becomes too restrictive. And that's what I found a lot in our industry that people were just like, they were becoming obsessed with like the fear of food and the fear of like not doing the right thing that like, I was just seeing like all of these high wired women who like couldn't function in everyday life because the, all they were worried about was like the, like, you know, did they not have any, they couldn't have any sugar or anything, any fruit, like only vegetables. And like, it's just, you could just see that there's like so much fear and anxiety running through their systems in a way that's like, okay, I don't think like we're not, we're not going the right direction in this route either. And that's like, that's why I, I draw so much to your content because you're like me, like you sort of see nutrients are available in so many different types of foods, not just vegetables. And, um, it's important to recognize that. And like, it's, it's also interesting that so many people who perceive us to be health experts are, are, assuming that like they're assuming things like we don't eat fruit or that we you know don't eat maple or don't drink coffee or don't eat animal products or like all these things and so what like do you have this sort of filtered mindset in what you consume or are you sort of just like I know all of these nutrients my vitamins, minerals, enzymes are present in so many of these amazing foods. Like, let me just focus on quality. Yeah. So I focus on what you're saying, quality, but also I'm aware of, you know, if you're going to go out to eat and you're going to go out and eat with your friends, like that's an experience in itself. So I view food is the only like language we have left where everyone understands it. So you can go and eat a meal with somebody who may not speak the same language as you, but you can enjoy the same food. If that makes sense, you can have dinner with people who may not agree with on a magnitude of things, but still like going to a meal, you could all like pizza. So yeah. it's, it's a more of an emotional exchange. And that's the tough part about food too, because it's like the, I think my dad always used to say, it's like the only like legal drug there is because it, you know, depending on how you treat food, it can help you or it can hurt you just by what you're saying, either being so overly obsessed with what you're eating and then, or not giving a care at all and over consuming calories to the point of morbid obesity. Um, but with food and how I like to view it is I am very grateful that I have a understanding of nutrition and that I've devoted a majority of my life to it, but I don't let it stop any of my uh, emotional experiences that I have in life. So if I'm going to go out to eat, if I'm going to go out for a drink or something with friends, it's that's a part of the human experience. And I try to enjoy that as much as possible. But if I, I'm not going out every single night and slamming pizza or slamming, you know, fried food and there's nothing wrong with pizza, but it's just my relationship with it is almost that you need food to survive. So you eat what fits that survival and then you move through life knowing that the better food that you eat that make you feel good, try to consume those more often and enjoy life, period. 
that it's not this massive thing that hovers over your day where, because it's really terrifying. My friends all say, oh, well, counting calories is the only way to lose weight. Lower, lower intake of calories plus exercise is how you lose weight. Counting calories is not how you lose weight. If it fits your macros is not how you lose weight. It's the act of eating less calories, but having more nutritional density to the point where your enzyme cells are functioning more effectively. So that's a whole food diet. And a lot of people think it's, you know, easier said than done. But I always try to tell people, why don't you try adding foods in instead of taking foods out? Because the quality of what you're eating when that gets increased, so whole foods with fiber, uh, micronutrients, macronutrients, all of those things where you're not attaching a number to it becomes your norm and you feel full and better and you're eating to live, not like living to eat, if right. that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I think that's a really good suggestion for people who are just, they're so psyched out and so afraid um, that to them, it seems easier to eat some, eat like a processed cracker than like a potato and butter. Yes. Yeah. Or the, you know, the, packaged food that has how many net carbs there are in items because they're trying to tell people, which they don't even realize is like really just diet culture. It's just Atkins 2.0 where it's a net carb and you're looking at how much carbohydrates are in it and then how much fiber that they've added to the product in order to have that net carbohydrate of what you're actually consuming. And you're sitting there and it's like, why are you doing so much math with like a protein bar or something of that nature. It's just, you know, eat an apple. And I told multiple people that they're like, I I'm traveling, you know, I need to have a protein bar. I'm like, just bring an apple. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it, it's, a, I know easier said than done for a lot of people. And I am very fortunate that I can have, you know, juice and whole foods readily available. And that is a hard part too, about, um, looking into big picture kind of public policy nutrition, there are a lot of inhibiting factors when it comes to whole food resources, especially in specific communities and schools where there's just not that easy access or cheap access for fresh fruits and vegetables. And that's a huge problem that it's just, why wouldn't it be? If you think about our food surplus and how much food this country has in the United States, why don't we have enough apples to put into a public school system? Why don't we have enough oranges or all of these things, but yet somehow we have enough tater tots. Like it just doesn't make sense that <laughs> those are the subsidized crops. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that we pay to produce because those are the ones that are used for products outside of just the food system, which yeah. is pretty gross. Like it's pretty gross that we use so much of our resources to grow things, not for our food. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Or we grow it to essentially a lot of things for fuel. So to fuel other items where it should be used for food. Right. But I mean, and, and we're so kind of wonky with food policy. It, it, everyone, you know, strives to get better and better. And, and it's tough because it should be so simple. We're having whole foods in a school lunch program should be a no brainer, which people are advocating. There's a lot of amazing advocation groups and there's a lot of amazing, great programs that are trying to get quality food into the school system, but there still are pockets in the United States where it's just not happening. And even, you know, as of recently we had in 
prior administrations for um, public health, we removed fat from milk. And if I know some people like milk or don't like milk, however, if you have a kid who's coming into a public school system and he's going to have breakfast and lunch there, and that is the child's <coughs> of the day, and their only meal is going to be hopefully something that has um, nutritional, cal- not only nutritional density, but enough calories to sustain them. Why would we be removing like a fat source from milk when milk is has you know vitamin D added to it? That's what we do to our milk supply. And vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin. And in order to absorb fat-soluble vitamins, you need fat. And we removed it from milk. So you're kind of just setting kids up for failure because we got so crazy on this no-fat train. And you're depleting possibly one, if not like the only nutritional items that these children are going to get that day because they're going to school to eat. And we realized that with COVID, when schools shut down, a lot of these children, that was their meal of the day. And so when you start to kind of play around with fad diets and you implement it into the school lunch program, which we did with fat, you're really setting children not only up for failure for those meals right then and there, you're training them to tell them that fat isn't good. Mm -hmm. And then we're all not absorbing fat soluble vitamins and A, D, E, and K are our immune vitamins that we need for our immune response. So it's just like... I love that you, you're always looking at it from like the statistical and like the, the nutrition dietetics perspective, like D minus fat doesn't make sense. Like that's why, so this is asinine from my perspective. I'm just like, you're not only have we already like pasteurized, homogenized and like killed the milk of all of its vital enzymes and all the things that it could be, you know, beneficial to us, like all those amazing benefits that it could provide. But now we're also like taking it a step further, like also reducing its natural fat component. And so like just from that intuitive perspective, the way that I look at most things, it's just, yeah, like it's, it's almost like the way that we, I look, it's the way that I view the way that we create pharmaceuticals. We take this natural compound and we take, we, we remove it so far away from its natural state that it and then introduced to to our body with no surrounding information just this like very far removed now chemical compound from its natural source the body then is like what is this and so it might utilize that specific alienated compound but at the expense of like all the symptoms that arise because there's some confusion relating to the way that that's to be absorbed or utilized in the body. So it might create that one function. Like, you know, I'm thinking about like Tylenol or, um, or Adderall or something like that. Like Tylenol, for example, like, yes, it, it works to alleviate the pain, but at, at the expense of your digestive lining mm-hmm. and, and Adderall, like, yes, it, it works to communicate, you know, certain neurotransmitters in the brain, but at the result of a lot of side effects. And, and the same is true for so many pharmaceuticals. Um, and I'm, ne- I'm definitely not this person to speak in, in an educated way about the way that the pharmaceuticals work in the body. But from an intuitive perspective, I do just always question the things that I put in my body that are far removed from their natural state. Um, 
and just try to move closer to the ones that, that are, you know, as close to the farm, as close to the producer as possible, because I think it just makes a difference in the communication to the body, you know? Um, yeah. So I agree. And there's a lot of parts where pharmaceuticals are a beautiful, amazing thing that we need in order to survive. And that's how we've evolved as species and had a longer lifespan and been able to survive like what used to be catastrophic for entire communities. If, you know, somebody in a village got strep throat or things like that, where we've developed pharmaceuticals for that immediate response in order to avoid death. Um, But now we have this oversaturation of pharmaceuticals where the term like re-inoculate has become very popular when people say like re-inoculating the gut because our pharmaceutical lining has kind of just overpowered our natural ability to process certain bacteria because there is good and bad bacteria. And everyone is taking almost, in my opinion now, since we have overstimulated pharmaceuticals where we kind of throw it at anything, um, people are now trying to in order to counterbalance that, take probiotics or sauerkraut or all these re-inoculating foods. And we overdo that because we're trying to essentially get that without any education on, you know, how much is too much that we're creating even more problems. And you have people who are coming out where they're just like having like bacterial vaginosis or they're having, you know, um, any type of like overgrowth or overstimulation of bacteria or yeast or anything in their body because they are trying to re-inoculate so aggressively. Yeah, because when you think about it, our, like there are millions of types of bacteria in our gut. Like the probiotic industry, while, you know, intentionally so, I know that their intention and their missions are so aligned with health, but when you have millions of different types of bacteria in the gut and you're only reintroducing you know, several thousand at best, mm-hmm. then you're likely going to overgrow the ones that you're reintroducing and not support. It's almost like, you know, it needs to be like a prebiotic conversation. It needs to be, you know, maybe a slow regrowth conversation. Um, products like Ion Biome. I know you like, you know, things like that, that really just support the exciting existing bacteria mm-hmm. um, support like their own ability to regrow. But yes, I, I completely agree to it. I'm not anti-pharmaceutical at all. I just think that all of this is, is it's, it's necessary to have this reconsideration and to have these conversations to just consider, you know, what we're doing and how we're going to deal with it because there's no right, wrong way. Um, and it's not about like, whose perspective is best and who's the smartest and who's done the most um, research because sometimes that's not helpful. So a lot of times people who are really good at research are only good in their lane. And so they have amazing research to support their findings, which is great, but it, it might not include really vital perspectives that bring a more holistic experience to the human, um, you know, rebuilding or, regenerating or, or health generating conversation. 
Yes. And a lot of people don't realize that when you have a study, it may be looking at a specific demographic. So when people go through and cherry pick their data in order to support and back a point that they want to want to make, it's often, and I get on this with the keto diet. So the keto diet, <laughs> it, it's, I think a lot of men do really, really well on it. And a lot of men like, you know, in their twenties, forties to fifties are doing fabulous on the keto diet and they're seeing great results. And I'm not saying that women aren't, but I don't believe that women are going to be having the same genetic or, um, biology response to a keto diet as a man would. And a lot of the data, a majority of it, not all of it, but a majority of it is male. So of course, you're going to have a, a lot of people backing it hardcore saying, you know, I lost a bunch of weight or it did really great. But long term for females, like I don't see that being a great solution. I, I genuinely believe that we're going to have women who go hardcore on keto diet. They're trying to lose weight in their 20s. They're, yes, consuming fat or they're consuming protein, but they're not having enough polyphenols and antioxidant rich foods. And it's going to, I, I believe, inhibit a lot of ability to get pregnant naturally. And it'll be because women are essentially trying to lower their calorie consumption because that's a lot of what the keto diet is too. Even though fat and protein do have calories, if you're going from eating a heavily processed diet, just period, and you're going to whole foods, eggs, bacon and butter, that's still a whole food diet. And you're going to be eating a little bit less than if you were going into the drive-through line getting McDonald's. So just calorie wise. But for women, I have a lot of my friends who I've asked them, they're like, oh, you know, I, I did keto for a while and now I can't drop these last couple pounds. And it's like, well, maybe it's not for you. Maybe that kind of diet isn't for you. But, you know, they see all this research getting published and I'm like, okay, well, is it male or female? Is it the age range that you're in that this research is coming out of? Most likely it's not. So yes, that paper published shows it had great results, but you are not that demographic in that paper. Yeah. Well, also, you know, what about, you know, five years from now and you, you still never lost those last three to five pounds because potentially your adrenals are burnt out from having to break down so much meat and so much fat and like sort of, you know, again, like my intuitive holistic perspective on the body, like, um, there are things that feel a little bit more masculine, things that feel a little bit more feminine. And without that balance for me, I sort of feel intuitively that, um, like swinging the pendulum too far in one direction just always has, it has a response whether you can see it in the moment or not, that will come back. It will swing the other way. Like, mm -hmm. um, and that's, that is how I feel with keto. I think that like, I do see people experience good results and then they stop seeing results and then they think that they're not doing it good enough. So then they try to go harder and they think that they're not doing it good enough because their body and their brain likely is communicating to them. I need glucose to function or any glucose for my hormone, whatever. I mean, glucose is a huge, it's a huge energy source for our brain. And we live in high, super high stress environments. And a lot of times I do feel like, you know, if you're avoiding that communication because you're afraid of 
the result being that you're gaining weight, like you're doing this just to lose weight. Um, yeah, I do find that that's, that's, there's always going to be, um, a result from that. That's not good because that communication is intuitively your, your power to stay balanced. And how do you, how do you sort of, um, evaluate that communication in a way that works best for your goals? You know, Mm -hmm. like for me, it's like, if I'm craving something sweet, I know that I have the options of giving my body whole foods or medicinal foods that are that do can contain glucose that also contain an array of other vitamins, minerals, and nutrients. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think with the education, we then start to understand like my brain and my body is not working against me per se by craving something that's sweet. Likely it's just sort of guiding me to what it actually needs and what would be the most supportive of it. What do you think? Yeah, well, I agree in the um, sense of kind of, you know, your body needs a plethora of items in order to feel at utmost capacity and functioning properly. And I do believe that, you know, you use glucose and um, even um, I've had people who are super hardcore into keto tell me like that they will get bumped out of keto even if they have too much protein from the um, amino acids um, breaking down into glucose because they're, they're trying, their body's trying to make a source of glucose. And so that's, should be your body telling you like, maybe you need it. However, um, I do think people who do well on keto are people who are in a high disease state where their cells are not functioning optimally. And that is because they're either, you know, like very far down the road in an autoimmune condition, Mm -hmm. very far down the road in any type of like serious health ailment where inflammation is the root source of it. So their body is just overly inflamed and their cells are not responding properly to anything. So it's kind of like they're cleaning house with keto just because you do need to get into a state of fasting in order to clean house. And I know that's not preferred, but I do believe that fasting is something, I mean, it's all, it's written biblically. It's written in multiple religions. Actually, there's some sort of fasting to allow your body to reset, to become more of clear headed, higher consciousness and your connection with God or whomever you see as creator. And fasting is the first step in the phases of detoxification. You have phase zero, phase one, phase two, phase three. And that is through your liver. And you kind of have to be in a fasted state in order to start that phases of detoxification. So your body does will be in an immune response. If you are sick, in order to get out of said immune response, you need to help stimulate your cells to be functioning in a healthy way. And fasting is a great part of that where it starts that stimulation process in order to go through your phases of detoxification. So there are benefits to, you know, certain diets such as keto. However, when you're talking about day-to-day living, such as you and I, um, who we both seem to have the same relationship with food where we're not using it as a means of abuse, where we're cutting calories or telling us we can't do something unless we've earned it. Um, we can't like have a dessert or go out to dinner unless we've you know starved ourselves three or four days prior of oh a really low calorie diet. Um, but I personally will shift my diet depending on if I'm feeling sick or not. So I won't eat 
the same way because I know I'm in an inflammatory state. So that will shift how I eat. Like I broke my arm a couple years ago and I, I over ate calories more than I ever have in my entire life. And I was doing bone broth, salmon, collagen, like all of these things. And I, my face started to break out from it, but I knew it's what I needed to do in order to heal my arm. So there's, food is medicine in that sense, but there's a time and a place for a lot of specific diets. And that's where there is diet nutrition therapy. And we have suddenly taken the concept of diet nutrition therapy, and we're trying to inject it into everyday life. We're we're telling people, you need to be on a, a specific nutrition therapy diet forever in order to feel good. And that doesn't make sense because the keto diet started for epileptics. So it does work and it does help your brain and it does do all these amazing things, but it is not something that has been said to do, to do forever every single day for 20 plus years. So there's again, diet nutrition therapy, love it. It's amazing. But that's why there's so many diets because there are different ailments in which they treat and kind of looping it back whole foods. That is where I have never met or seen a single person where eating whole foods, fruits and vegetables is the root cause of somebody's diabetes, arthritis, or any other serious long-term illness because they had too many, you know, vegetables. It's just not, I don't think anybody is going to convince me of that any day. (laughs) So that was okay. That was so great um, and so helpful. And, you know, I think that there are some people who are probably still left with the question of, you know, but, you know, everyone in the industry is telling me I should be intermittent fasting every day. Um, I should do, you know, um, a 24-hour fast once a month, like, especially women. And um, I do think that there is, like, a sense of manipulation associated with that you know, like you're manipulating your, your eating habits and like for, for what purpose? And I think that that's sort of going back to like what you were saying is the purpose to heal something is the purpose to blah, blah, blah. Um, because what I see is that people are just trying, like, they're just adding on more restrictions, more restrictions, um, because they're afraid to just sort of live and, um, I, you know, I don't know. Is it because a lot of us just think we always need to be on a diet or we always need to be fearful of like that long-term illness or we always need to be like in prevention mode. And, um, and I think that like when I am just scanning the room, I look at people like you and I see like your supplement regimen and I see like the way that you eat. Cause just based on the things that you post and, um, and it's like, okay, if everyone stepped back and we were less afraid of, you know, not being waif like thin, um, we would look at the way that you're consuming and addressing food and addressing vitamins, nutrients, minerals, and the, the way that you, um, supplement and say like, that's prevention. Mm-hmm. That, that, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But I, I think a lot of it too, and that's a huge problem is, um, we are still, no matter what anyone says, people associate a lot of their self-worth with how they look. And it's, I know that people like to think that they don't. Um, but it, 
it is so, um, it's upsetting and it's sad. And I hear it a lot from, you know, people, my age, my friends, I just turned 30 and my social circle of friends and people that I go out with, they'll acknowledge something that they're eating that may not be the healthiest option on the menu. And they feel compelled to say it out loud at dinner. (laughs) Oh, I know this isn't healthy, but it's just a little treat. And I'm like, I don't care what you're eating. And I mean, I, I, like, I, I care about your health and your overall wellness, but to me, all that really shows that people are ashamed of the way that they eat and they're ashamed of the way that they look. And that is why we, they put so much insane thought and insane pressure into the food that they're consuming. And that's essentially why diets are popular and why diets become this crazy thing. And it's such a multi-billion dollar industry because people are so obsessed with physical appearance. And with that, you know, and it's tough because you don't have to be real thin to be healthy. You do need, you know, a little meat on your bones in order to get pregnant and have a baby, to carry a baby nutritionally and having all those things in your body in order to feed a person. But um, it's just really sad that it comes back to people just having this self-worth and how they look and feeling so embarrassed for their nutrition choices. So they feel better about being on a diet or saying that they're on a diet because it gives them a sort of control. And it also, if they tell people and they post about it and they say it out loud, they feel like they're, um, nobody's going to say anything negatively about it. Like, Oh, they're, you know, they're trying, they're, they're trying to lose weight. They're like, I know I'm working on myself, all of these things. And it's just frustrating because food and nutrition and supplements, I think it's fun. Like I have probably tried so many things, like honestly, like really like weird cocktails of stuff just to see what would happen, which is not necessarily the healthiest, but I always tell everybody I'll try everything once. (laughs) So I, I do it more so for fun and to see how it works. And if I notice a difference and I enjoy that part of it, but for me, it's an experimentation process that brings me joy. It's not a way, like I said, where I'm punishing myself or I'm embarrassed about how I eat or I'm embarrassed about how I may look physically. And obviously have everybody has their own insecurities, but with food now, and I guess with food, how it's always been, um, it's this passed down thing of how you look is a part of your worth and losing weight or gaining muscle and all these things, like people will comment on it. So it's hard to avoid that sense of diet culture because it's everywhere. It's like ingrained in every single person. Right. Uh, Yes, exactly. Um, And I like the examples that you gave because that's exactly what happens. Like everyone feels like they have to speak on behalf of their appearance 24 seven. And I do the same thing. Like, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm in one of the stores and I'm like not feeling well or didn't sleep well, I automatically feel like I have to tell people like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't sleep well. Or like, um, you know, I'm not feeling the best today or, um, just had a long weekend or it's like, why do we constantly feel like we have to, um, we feel like we have to explain what we look like 24 seven and have it have like a reason as to why we don't think that we look great or something. I don't know. Um, but that's a really interesting thing for us to, to begin talking about because 
I think that the more that we accept who we are and, and accept our, our changes and um, all those things, I think that we would experience ourselves to be more beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, and likely like some of those things that we dislike about ourselves would probably fall away mm-hmm. through that I, acceptance. I don't know. Yeah. I, I really do believe too that food is um, just part of the equation for wellness. So exercise is something that isn't talked about enough in correlation to food because we should be exercising. Obviously, yes, it's good for you, but for the mental well-being of that exercise puts on you, um, I have never felt more confident in myself than when I started lifting weights. And there's this idea of kind of just being able to physically do something that you couldn't before and going up in weight or being able to, you know, meet a goal that we just don't really have that in society anymore where people are working hard towards certain goals for physical accomplishment. Because when you're younger, you're in sports and school, or you have the, I don't know if you remember like those presidential or um, little- I remember those. You would get in elementary school. Yeah. And it was all for physical fitness. Uh-huh. Um, I And sports, I don't think people realize that it was in- it, I personally, I, it shouldn't have been competitive to say like, I'm better than, you know, the next person, but it's more so it should have been to training people to how to be better than themselves, you know, a few days ago or a few weeks ago. And that's what physical fitness really is, should be doing. And that's what it's done for me. And I love being able to correlate the food that I'm eating now in order to help reach those goals, just because it's not, it, again, it's not like starvation or it's not pulling away or it's not a, a thing that I have to be embarrassed or shameful about. Um, it's it's just goal-oriented. And a lot of people don't have goals that they're trying to reach that are in a healthy way other than, let's say, to look like they've lost 10 pounds or to fit into you know a dress from college because they like <laughs> that it, it, and that is specifically like a weight thing I, it, it right. should be more of an accomplishment on physical fitness and strength and being proud of who you are and being proud of what your body has accomplished instead of saying i need to be real thin in order to look skinny in pictures that i post online <laughs> so it's, i and, and there's nothing and i know people think that maybe that's not the nicest way to put it, but I, I really wish that more men and women viewed physical fitness, viewed food as something that made them feel so great about themselves that they were proud of who they were, regardless of what like photo angle they were taken at. Yeah. So that would be a nice goal. And I know it's obviously easier said than done. And I'm, you know, a victim of it myself where I'm like, oh, I don't look great in that or whatever, but I just, it's not my dominating thought process and it's not my dominating way I live life. Mm -hmm. I would say that this is a pretty like consciously evolved conversation. I don't think that, you know, most people have the strength to really admit some of these things. Um, So I'm wondering like how this and I'm thinking about like in my relationship and in my home too, because Evan obviously is my partner in the juice business and also in life. And so, and he's changed his 
like consumption, you know, he, like from the time that we met, we've been together for 10 years, like he was eating fast food to now, like he's so regimented because of the way that he's seen a change in the way that he feels and the way that he's able to perform and all of those things. Um, but it does create this interesting thing in our relationship where, you know, he wants what works for him to work for me. And so like, he tries to kind of hold me to those standards where I'm like, um, you know, we're different and we're different at different times. And we're, um, we're going to do different things and our output's going to be different. And, um, you know, I need more rest because I'm a manifester and I'm not supposed to work as much as you because I'm a manifester and you're a generator. (laughs) I'm still trying to convince him of that truth. Um, but I'm wondering like, do you, what's been like sort of your, some of your experience in relation to this conversation in your home and in like your most intimate relationships? So I would say my husband, Scott, um, has been probably the best thing that's ever happened to me with a, my relationship with food, my job, and just like my outlook on life. He is so positive and so happy all the time. And it is truly incredible. I've never met anybody like him, but he is in such an intense stress job. Uh, he's a firefighter and he doesn't, he'll go through a full 24 hours without sleeping and he's dealing with, and you know, he is also a paramedic. So helping people who, you know, car accidents, kind of stress that I couldn't imagine being under. And I don't know how he does it and bless him for it. And everybody who does do that, but he is going to come home from work. And the last thing he wants to do after he didn't sleep for 24 hours is to have a bulletproof coffee or a mushroom coffee and a big breakfast. He hasn't slept. He's Mm -hmm. on a different clock and he just dealt with such high intensity that his needs for what he's eating and how he's taking care of himself are totally different than mine. Um, So that has been really interesting for me to kind of realize. And it's, and it also too, it's very humbling to understand like there are people who my diet and my lifestyle is actually impossible for them to do because of the hours that they're working Mm -hmm. and the stress that they're under and they have way different nutritional needs. So it's been very good for me to watch that. And I will get him entirely different food from what I'm eating because I know that he needs that kind of nutrition and he needs those specific supplements for the type of job that he has. Since he's obviously, it's more of a high carcinogenic job. I have him on different probiotics and have him taking um, NAC and charcoal on an empty stomach when he comes home from work. Whereas I'm not going to be taking those specific types of things all the time because I'm not exposed to the same stuff as him. Um, But it's what are some of the other things? Like what are some of like, how is, how are his nutritional needs different? Like on a regular basis. So since he's in to high stress and he's just going to be having higher inflammation more than the average person for a job. And he actually just went through a full tear, pec tear surgery and recovery this summer, um, which was totally different nutritional needs recovering from a surgical tear. But off of a surgical tear from recovering from that, he needs higher protein than me and he needs more food, period. Just 
he's more active. He's burning things quicker than I am. And he also is working out. So they have to keep a pretty intense fitness regimen in order to be, you know, carrying somebody out of building if they need to. And I have to be really mindful about that, that even though I maybe feel like I'm eating lighter because I worked all day, but I was sitting down a majority of it, I might want a smoothie or a juice for dinner. He's going to need a, a full on like rice, steak, yeah. vegetables, and he might need two servings of it. And instead of me sitting there going, oh, are you sure you need that? Or kind of watching his calories or what some other people would be doing. It, it's really allowed me to say, he's fine with his diet. He understands what he needs. And instead of trying to get him to conform to what I how I eat, I have to be really supportive that he's in a completely different lifestyle than me. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you both good. eat similar things during the week? Like, do you eat similar things every day? Um, his schedule and I, just because he's gone for about 48 to 72 hours a week, um, I'll eat obviously, you know, those nights alone, but when we eat together, uh, I'll try to make sure that those are the nights that I'm cooking Uh, more of a protein dense, animal fat, animal protein. Um, I will be, I'll put in, you know, beans, rice, complex carbohydrates. And I do have those things on my own. It's just, I'm just more cognizant that he's going to be having dinner with me and I need to make sure there's enough food. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's so great. And do you, um, I mean, I think it's so great that he has you to do his supplements too. He sometimes listens, you know. Yeah. (laughs) I try. He he might have an intuitive knowing of what he needs sometimes too. Like sometimes I feel like I I don't need the supplement today, even though like I know this is great for me. Like I just don't want to take it. And I sort of like honor that messaging. Yeah. Um, Don't take anything every single day, even prenatals, which I do take prenatals just I have for years. Um, and there's just some days that I'm like, I'm not in the mood. And why do you I, take prenatals as opposed to like a multi or something? I believe a healthy woman is a fertile woman. So yeah, on the off chance that I, you know, do get pregnant, it's usually nine months prior to conception. You're starting to have the nutrition, sorry, the nutritional base for the baby. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it was like 24, 25 when I started doing prenatals after I learned that fact in a, um, I call it like the womb to tomb class and you're like, um, nutrition through the lifestyles. <laughs> so I always wanted to be prepared and have my body in a state of nutritional optimization in case I ever did get pregnant. Wow. That is so thoughtful and like <laughs> forward thinking. What are, what are some other supplements that you take regularly? Omega-3 fatty acids. I do try to eat fish though, but um, I do take omega-3 fatty acids with CoQ10 in it. Um, And I do that just for being an autoimmune patient previously. Um, I've been off autoimmune or I was taking Relafin and Enbrel, which is like a steroid injection in my leg. I was doing that for all throughout high school. And I've been off of all of those drugs since 2009. So quite a while. Um, but I do, um, I'm like looking at my supplement cabinet in the corner thinking what's in there. I do have a probiotic. I take that probably three times a week, three, four times a week. Um, the gut ion health 
for biome. But my biggest thing that I'm into, and my husband always makes fun of me, is I have like a really specific toothpaste that I use. Mm-hmm. And Revitin, it's okay. the best toothpaste ever. It was um, formulated by a dentist in New York. And I believe, I think you asked me, sorry if there's um, sirens in the background. So I'm oh, sorry okay. if, those, if you hear those. But um, Revitin toothpaste was made for a prebiotic-based um, toothpaste. And I took an autoimmune regulation class in my master's. And I came across a study that had to deal with the oral microbiome and autoimmune conditions. So you'd asked me earlier in the interview where I may have started to kind of have this autoimmune flare-up. I really do believe that dental health is the most important indicator for having a positive immune response to infection. So I've learned that when I was in grad school and I went on this like rampage of understanding the oral microbiome and what you need for your teeth and mineral density and how best to have a healthy bacteria in your mouth to not just wipe it out of everything. And I found, you know, like charcoal's too abrasive. Um, certain types of essential oils can strip the entire lining of your gut flora in your mouth. Mm-hmm. So I w- really got away from all sorts of like generic and even holistic toothpaste because they're in that. I, have you heard the term like greenwashing or, yeah. uh, and that's kind of like what's swept the nutraceutical line where it's, you make money off of a supplement, just like you make money off of pharmaceuticals. So it's almost like people are getting inundated from both sides with take 3000 supplements and, or take these antibiotics or these pharmacol or like pharmaceuticals and you're getting it from both sides when again it should be you know re-inoculating having that sense of base where you're doing with like your foods you're eating the products you're using and not necessarily taking all these pills all the time so this toothpaste that I got was amazing I can't speak higher enough about it and it really, I believe, has helped keep my immune system strong and it's helped me avoid serious infections um, throughout um, probably the past three years that I've been using it. And it's just a toothpaste? Yes. What I have like called? no affiliation with this product. It's called Revitin. Revitin. <laughs> it's so, yeah, it's so good. Um, but it, it really did, um, the doctor who or dentist who invented it, he... Oh, he has a book out as well. It like the mind mouth connection. I think it's what it's called. It's a great book, but it opened my eyes to understanding, you know, if you're, you're, you're inhaling, you're eating your food. That's the first source of where you're eating food. Why wouldn't that be one of the most important things that you look into for overall health? Mm-hmm. We talk about probiotics. We talk about all these things we do for our gut. Well, it's the gastrointestinal tract. It starts in your mouth. So we have kind of, avoided this topic of dental health and hygiene and how important it is. And I really like, this is maybe controversial, even though it shouldn't be, but I do believe that if there were dentists going in and really helping in the elderly community, going into old folks' homes, going into schools and forcibly treating people, not forcibly, but like positively doing routine checkups, checking for um, infections and gingivitis and training on brushing your teeth and oral health, long-term illness and like very serious infections, I believe could be avoided. 
I'm going to send, have you, um, have you looked into any of the living libations, dental care? Yes. I met her at a conference that we yeah. did kaleidoscope for yeah. like a brief second. She's phenomenal. Very like ahead of her time. Yes. I would say when she started all of her lines, but I haven't tried anything dental care by her. So she has an amazing book that I have at Raw Republic in Austin. I've, I had it, I've had it in New Orleans for years, um, but it's, it's just so easy to overlook. But the name of the book is Holistic Dentistry by Nadine Artemis. And essentially she breaks down every single tooth or mouth condition and can tell you sort of how to naturally treat it, which I think is so important because, um, before you go and get like a tooth removed from a traditional dentist that could, you know, expose the rest of your mouth and your bloodstream to those infections and things like that, just being mindful of like exactly what's happening and what the potential is can sort of help you to prepare better for those things. Like, um, you know, like biological dentists, for example, a lot of times they're doing vitamin C drips during mm -hmm. situations like that. They're being very careful if you have any metals in your mouth and um, just the mindfulness and the, the care and the attention to understanding why your tooth or teeth are in these conditions. And she talks a lot about nutrition um, as a preventative and also like the shape of the teeth, which I found really interesting. I'm sure you've heard of, of sort of that mindset related to Weston Price, you know, yep. the shape of the jaw and mm -hmm. um, things like that and how we alter that so much. We alter that with braces. Um, she showed how sort of like the jaw placement changes a lot when we decide to put braces on our children, mm -hmm. uh, which I had braces. I had my wisdom teeth taken out. Um, I don't know what I would do for a future child of mine, but it's definitely an interesting thing to consider because um, – her perspective is that if the nutritional makeup is sound, those things are not needed. Yes. And that it, I think that'll be a huge push in the next probably five years of dentists getting like the light that they deserve on how much importance of overall health that the mouth and what you're saying, shape of the mouth cosmetic dentistry, all these things that we do and alter where food, essentially what we need to survive enters our body and how we should be taking care of that first and foremost to have optimal digestion, to have optimal nutrition and the importance of preventative with dental care. Yeah. So that it, I love Dr. Lin's work too. He kind of worked off of Weston Price and very much so in the space of biological dentistry. And it, that will become more and more popular and everything kind of goes in waves. And hopefully that's the next wave of what we'll be doing. And you brought up metals and kind of, you know, heavy metals and the exposure of that, I'm sure with what we've learned, you know, doing certain kinds of fillings are not good <laughs> anymore, but there's hopefully going to be new research coming out with the, overconsumption of iron and iron supplementation, which I personally don't encourage. Um, and having that iron overload in your body. And I think people will start to realize like iron's going to be getting stuck in cells because of inflammatory responses, like your inflammatory cytokines that'll shut down iron being able to leave the cell 
And then we'll have this huge buildup in iron in the body and our inflammation markers will stay high. And that will allow for a higher risk of viral infections and prolonged viral infections. So I think with this over, again, supplementation that people are doing without being really understanding what you should be taking. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes there's, there's a saying that too much of anything can be bad, but iron, I, I hope will be the next big topic and over supplementing of iron and how we really need to get away from that and how people are trying to supplement all this stuff to keep their body healthy and well, instead of just eating things from a natural source. Right. And this over supplementation is going to lead to higher increase of infection. Because a lot of the iron supplementation anyway is synthetic. Yeah. And there's insoluble and soluble like iron. So the, depending on like the form that it's in and it converts in your body. So it's like, you can, you can have a lot of iron, but if your body's yeah. not breaking it down properly, right. it's not really any good. Right. And so like supplementing with it is not going to help that situation. Yeah. It's going to likely make it worse. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think like I've had a lot of functional medicine experiences relating to my period because it used to be super, super heavy. And that was always the first thing that they wanted to give me was like an iron supplement. And I was like, I just knew that it wasn't making me feel better. I knew it wasn't doing what they thought that it was doing, which was like replenishing my blood. That was not what was happening. Um, And so like, I'm definitely curious about that. Um, And then there's this very, I'm going to send you this person's page. He's super controversial in functional medicine because he believes that the omega-3 industry is completely falsified and um, does not believe in fish oil at all. Um, And also anti-iron. And basically he just hates everyone that's, that's in the wellness world, but not to say that he doesn't have some very interesting perspectives and, um, and perspectives that I think can be accurate. His name is Matthew Blackburn. Have you seen his page? I'll have to look him up. I'm going to send it to you because he has a lot to say about iron. I love anybody who just kind of like has just a different view. Oh, I mean, I wouldn't have been so passionate about being against iron in my undergrad. I didn't learn this stuff, you know, it's until later in life, but I did nutrition dietetics undergrad. So people think that, you know, you know, everything when you come out, when the more you learn, the more you realize, you know, nothing. (laughs) Well, that's, that's actual learning, you know, realizing that the more that you exactly what you said, the more that you think, you know, or the more that you are exposed to, the more you recognize you have no exposure to and never will. And, um, So like from that, being in that humble perspective, I think is what allows you to stay holistically minded. And, uh, you know, is that a good thing for our researchers? I would argue yes, because it's, it's a more accurate representation of what you're finding. And hopefully as a default, your communication about that finding then becomes less misleading to people so that they understand like, this is a finding where this is true. However, the opportunity for other truths in this space is vast. You know, like let's not take this and then create a diet off of it or a supplement off of it, for example. Um, But yeah, I'm going to send you that guy's page. He's very interesting. I like following him. I agree with some things. He's, He's pretty much the only person in the wellness world who doesn't like Mark Hyman, doesn't like Dr. Mercola. Um, 
<laughs> he's just like he's a hater, but um, but he he's very a intelligent. Hate a lot of. I mean, that's the thing about it is you'll find anybody. I'm sure there's people who hate me. <laughs> I mean, I know there are. But join the club. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's just if you have an opinion, you have to realize that there's going to be somebody with the opposite of it, and and it, it doesn't bother me as much anymore yeah. when people like have a strong opinion on something and there's stuff that I agree with Dr. Mercola stuff. I don't same thing with Dr. Hyman. I mean, my master's was through the instant. It was human nutrition and functional medicine. So it was 50, 50, my professor yeah. who liked or didn't like that kind of side. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's healthy because in 20 years from now, I'm sure there'll be tons of things that I did were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> things that I did five years ago that were wrong. Yeah. But if you're willing to like be humble about your perspective, then you're able to continue to grow and evolve as opposed to just being married to your perspective, you know? So um, I thought we were going to be able to address like nutrition, business, being women in business, but we, we're just going to have to do another episode on business stuff because like for as informed as you are on nutrition and really all, like, all of the topics that we discussed you're also an amazing business person. So we'll just say we'll record another episode on that topic. Um, but let's say our, let's say our favorite juice right now, um, both from our stores. Like what's your favorite juice from Kaleidoscope right now? Ooh, I would say my favorite juice right now, probably our Aloha. It's spirulina, watercress, um, collards, lime, pineapple and aloe vera. Oh, yum. That sounds amazing. God. Yeah. I want that right now. I'm so thirsty. Um, okay. My favorite juice right now is glam and it's so simple and it's an acronym that stands for ginger, lemon, apple, mushroom. And it's an eight mushroom blend that Evan and I have been testing for two years. The first time I took it and I took the recommended like I think it was a teaspoon. They have a scooper in it, but I took that amount, um, and I felt like I was microdosing. Oh gosh, I it, want you to try it. <laughs> it was like neurotransmitter heaven. Um, lots of energy, but like in a sustainable format, and I could absolutely tell that it was a, an immune support. Um, and so we talked to the botanist of that uh, business of that company. And asked him about adding it to ginger, lemon, apple, mushroom, or ginger, lemon, and apple. And he was like, everything in that is going to boost the availability of this mushroom blend um, and will work perfectly. And it has. And it's just, it's amazing. And so it's like slightly energizing. It's immune boosting with the ginger and the lemon. um, And it tastes amazing. Um, We use green apples. And it's just amazing. I love it. Um, I can't wait to try it. I'm coming to visit. we're here. You got to come visit and um, we'll do another podcast to talk about business stuff because I think you're inspiring in so many ways. And thank you so much for sharing what you did today. And um, I'm so excited for you. Also big congratulations because the last time I saw you, you didn't complete the transition of you owning the business was not complete and now it is. And that's huge. So congratulations, Brooke. Thank you. You were far too kind. I really thank you for talking to me. Thank you. Nice to see you. Love you a lot. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.